Hi, everyone. It's Henry DeVries, Chief Encouragement Officer from Indeed Books International. Welcome to the Marketing with a Book podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Great session ahead on LinkedIn and what we must be doing there as high-fee consultants. So welcome. Before we do that, we'd like to have our roll call of those on the call with us today. And I'd like to start with uh, Mary Schmid and then go to Mark LeBlanc. And uh, please introduce yourself and Mary, whenever you're ready. Thank you, Henry. Nice to be here. So my name is Mary Schmid and I'm the author of the book, Make or Break Conversations, teaching people the science behind having meaningful conversations that connect, engage, and build trust. Mary, thanks for being with us. Mark, welcome. Hey, thank you, Henry. My name is Mark LeBlanc. I actually am the chairman uh, of Indie Books International. I'm headquartered out of Minneapolis. And um, the book I am currently working on is Bringing in the Business. And I'm co-authoring that with Henry and David Goldman. Thanks, Mark. Oh, uh, Scott Hamilton with us from the ENP Institute. Um, welcome, Scott. Good afternoon, Henry. Great to be here. Uh, Scott Hamilton, CEO of the Executive Next Practice Institute, broadcasting to you from UCI Irvine in Irvine, California. Uh, looking forward to this session. Uh, we're a consortium of several thousand C-level executives across the globe, and uh, we feature a lot of speakers that Henry provides to us. And we're looking forward to having Henry join us for our next webinar on March 3rd, it's March 3rd, on um, new rules for growth uh, for 2022. Thanks, thanks for the invitation. I guess we'll be talking about how to have strategic retreats that are both about increasing revenue and maintaining the, the workforce that you have, keeping the talent that you have. Those are dual dilemmas that we're all facing now. Thank you, Scott. Oh, uh, a good year for Scott, who's from Georgia. Uh, Georgia quarterback wins the Super Bowl and uh, Georgia wins the national championship. So uh, uh, must be feeling good now. Okay. Well, we feel really good because, uh, as you know, we had most of the former Rams in our offices uh, last Thursday night. So it was quite, quite uh, it was great to see them uh, in person and then see a few of them doing uh, the recap of the game afterwards. It's a good event, thanks. Um, let's see, uh, Suzanne is our producer here at Indie Books. Uh, wanted to give her a shout out and all she does to keep us on track with our podcast. And my recent book, uh, Rainmaker Confidential, that's part of what I'll be speaking on for Scott. Uh, and it's about how to have rainmaker retreats, uh, how to improve rainmaking at the organization, all about increasing revenue. Well, let's get to our special guest, Ellen Melko Moore. She's someone I like writing about in Forbes.com. She started out teaching rhetoric and persuasive voice at the University of Denver. So we share a common interest in persuasion and uh, using persuasion for good and not evil. Uh, she's done brand consulting for Oprah Winfrey, the American Marketing Association, uh, the Zappos Shoes Guys uh, creates LinkedIn social selling courses and is really, uh, she's not a contrary person, but she has some contrary views on LinkedIn, which are very refreshing and looking forward to her sharing some of that with us. So uh, please welcome Ellen Melkomore. Well, thank you very much. Did I unmute myself successfully? I think I did. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Henry and Mark and Mary and Scott and Suzanne and everybody else who's here or listening. It's so great to be here with you all. Um, I, I remember when I first met Henry DeVries on LinkedIn. So one of the reasons I love LinkedIn is there's just so many amazing, amazing people that you can meet there. I actually have a book coming out at the end of spring called The World's Most Boring Party stuffed with the planet's coolest people. And that's how I feel about LinkedIn. I don't think, I've never had a client say, oh gosh, I just can't wait to spend more time on LinkedIn. That's not been a statement anyone's made. 
But some of my most successful clients have found other things they were doing that didn't particularly add to their brand or to their revenue or to the you know, general things they were creating. And we found an hour to two hours extra a day for them to work on LinkedIn. And my most successful client is spending two hours a day on LinkedIn and making over a million dollars a month. And again, as a, as a moral individual like, like you and I and the other people listening to this. So I, I'm, I would never make the argument that you have to spend two hours a day on LinkedIn. But the point is often when you get really targeted and really positioned correctly, with the most lucrative clients, the most enjoyable clients, uh, the people who are active on that platform, you really can very quickly go from being sort of, you know, prominent in your field or well-liked in your field to basically first in line if in your field, if, you, if that's something that you want to do. And I have a short presentation on what's happening with LinkedIn for 2022 that I thought I'd, I'd give just so we're kind of on the same page with some of the facts. And then we can just jump out into, um, into whatever you'd like to know about your LinkedIn profile, your LinkedIn practice, or your LinkedIn posting. Those are kind of the three pillars of LinkedIn. Combine those three things with some great OPA, which is other people's audience. That's when you get to do fun stuff like this, like. You show up and, and, and give your talk on an audience that Henry and Mark and Suzanne have already done all the work to collect, and uh, it works together pretty nicely. Um, so if it's all right with y'all, I'll just kind of jump into that slides, and then we can just move in with whatever questions you have. Our focus is positioning. That's my obsession. My company is called Super Tight, and the point of Super Tight is, again, Everyone knows about target audience. Everyone knows about that. Everyone's done demographic. Well, most of the people who are listening to this know about that. You know, you've done your demographic study, your psychographic study, your avatar, and yet, and yet, and yet. What we see time and time again is when we optimize the profile, the outreach, the content for a more specific target client, that's when things get really fun. And one of the reasons that Henry was ask, asking me to talk about that. Uh, we, you know, he, uh, he was talking recently in an article he wrote for Forbes uh, about a point I make a lot about the war of the worlds. Words, excuse me, not the worlds. That's a different one. And the fact is that we just have so many people entering this marketplace that time and time again, brands and businesses and positions that were tight as in very specific, very focused, very niche, very powerful. Whenever I say the word tight, hear the word powerful or the word effective. Those are good ones. They've sort of become like your favorite pair of sweatpants. You know, you bought them and they fit perfectly. And now that, that elastic is getting looser and looser and looser and looser as more and more people jump into this space. And so LinkedIn is a way to kind of uh, tighten up without necessarily running around and changing everything else you're doing. You don't have to change your website. You don't have to change your marketing material. You don't have to change the name of your podcast. You can use LinkedIn to test and see fairly quickly, hey, does this more specific target audience really give me a leg up? And I'll show you some examples of that. So anyway, first, real quickly, we're just gonna do the song and dance here. And I will hopefully take you to my presentation. Um, I didn't, I didn't have a title for this, uh, when, when we were sort of putting it together. So I figured one of the things we always like to emphasize is this idea of customers for life. And I know that's something that's important to Henry and to Mark as well. I was on a, a client attraction forum with Mark a couple summers ago, and compared to some of the big group, the, uh, the gurus who were also speaking, his email list was a little bit smaller, but he, it was by far the most responsive. Uh, more people signed up to be in this, in this workshop because of Mark and more people paid for the paid version because of Mark. This was compared to some other people who had, you know, email lists of, you know, 10,000 and so. So it just goes to show you if you treat people the way people that Mark and Henry treat people, 
you're going to start approaching LinkedIn the right way because instead of like this whole get clients, get clients, get clients, like don't worry about getting clients, worry about customers for life. And if you're going after people and your offer is a little bit more expensive and your people are a little bit more sophisticated, uh, this is really kind of the way to go. So there's me, there's my name, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Alan Malcolm Moore and um, ask me any questions you have, and I'm happy to help if I can. So just some stats for right now, LinkedIn currently has over 740 million members, uh, especially since the pandemic. The activity on LinkedIn has gone up a great deal. So it, of the 303 million active monthly users, 40% of people visit the site daily, 90 million senior level influencers, and 63 million decision makers use LinkedIn. Time and time again, when it comes to a more sophisticated client, I'm talking about somebody who's a, who's a professional, who's an executive, who's C-level, uh, maybe they're a successful consultant. More and more, this is the platform that they are going to be on. And it does outperform every other platform. Um, and when I look at this, this deck here, I, what I think, this makes me so happy. Because when I look at these competitors, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, I think to myself, well, to be a star on Twitter, you know, you want to be somewhat controversial. Uh, Twitter is the, you know, cesspool of opinions, as some people say. And I love Twitter, but I think of Twitter as a place where you do have to be really creative and a bit snarky to keep up. Facebook is a place where that's very much about connection. And there's various ways to stand out there. YouTube is really about creativity. How fast can you deliver? You know, or can you, can you keep people on an hour-long YouTube program because you're just that compelling? So here's the great news. Remember that 92%, and we're going to talk about why that's such amazing news for you and for LinkedIn, because it's actually a pretty cool reason. Here's the thing. This is the big secret. You know, 92% of those businesses leaders are using LinkedIn. I would say 92% may be using it. I don't know. I'm not LinkedIn. I can't look at their stats, but I would guess that 99% of people on this platform don't really know how to use it. I would say I myself barely know, like I know enough to be dangerous, but this is what's awesome about this, this platform. Most people, even people who are very popular elsewhere, even people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Find this platform confusing, boring, or lonely. Can't wait to get busy on LinkedIn, said no one ever. I mean, again, it's not snarky and fun like Twitter. It's not potentially loving and connective like Facebook can be, nor is it this really creative space like YouTube can be. So the fact that most people are confused, lonely, and bored on this platform, but they feel they have to be here is an enormous advantage to anyone who's gonna spend a little bit of time using, you know, getting used to it and navigating it. Cause once you know that you have an enormous advantage. Plus I think it sort of takes away some of the fear of this is this weird platform. It's not technically a social media platform. It doesn't act like a social media platform. LinkedIn tries to shut down people who use it that way. So all of that can be a bit forbidding. And so what people do is we sort of go to these standard ways of behaving on LinkedIn with templates and automations and profiles that talk about how wonderful we are. And, and there's just some other things to do that aren't that hard to do that can, that can make a giant difference for the target client that you're going after. So we like to say a typical LinkedIn profile, the way we've all been told to do it, it's some version of why I'm so great or why my company is so great. And this started, you know, LinkedIn 2003 three is the earliest platform. It's earlier than MySpace. And what people were told to do was do a resume online. That's what they were told it is. So that's what most people have is some sort of resume. Or maybe they have what we call a sales page profile. And a sales page profile is the one where, again, you know, it's got um, testimonials and, and, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you. And it, it's kind of more like that. Now, there's nothing wrong if you're listening to this and you're feeling bad already because you have this kind of profile, please do not feel bad. Your profile is probably really, really good because otherwise you wouldn't be here with these guys listening to them. The thing that what I'm going to talk about though is a way to just rise above a little bit 
do it a little bit differently. And please don't be embarrassed of whatever your profile looks like now when you're listening to this later, because I, I'm so mad I haven't saved all my old iterations of my profile. I wish I did, or we could all have just a really good laugh. So, I mean, again, this is just kind of moving past the me, me, me and into this space of service. So instead of talking about myself or about, I'm, I'm going to try to make my profile my outreach, that's my one-to-one -one communication with people, and my content. I'm going to try to make all of it for my target audience instead of about me. It's not about my target audience either. My target audience already knows who they are. But the most valuable way to think of your whole thesis on LinkedIn, your, your thesis, everything you're doing, I love the comparison of a keynote speech challenge. And I'll talk a little bit more about exactly what that is and what that means. But this is a way to think about it is like everything you're going to do, you're going to start with these most valuable audiences. So in order to really make this work, instead of making it about us, we're going to make it for somebody. So we have to choose the best target client for LinkedIn if we want to approach this strategy. We are looking for somebody who's active on LinkedIn. That's important. We're looking for someone with the most ATP, that's ability to pay, who scores highest there. And we're also looking for the client with the most ETP score, that's eagerness to pay. You can find lots of people with money who don't wanna give it to you. You can find lots of people who are eager to give you money, but they don't have any. So what we're looking for is these three things we do, we do a score sheet, a worksheet for people, and we, and we ask them to score people one to five in these three areas. And then another area I love is uh, the acronym is MBQ, and that's Mind Blown Quotient. So I like picking people that I love being around, that when I see them on my calendar, my day is happy, right? Like you look ahead to your week and you're like, oh, good, I get to be with this person, this person, this person. So it's also okay to think about that as far as figuring out who all this is going to be for. And again, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, yeah, Ellen, I know about target client. I wanna show you, we're gonna to go just a little bit farther than, than maybe you think that we are. So we're gonna design our profile, our outreach and our content for our most lucrative, delicious prospect or power partner, the next level for your brand and business. And here's the cool thing. Again, you don't have to go change everything else right away. Use LinkedIn to test this a little bit and see if you find an audience that's even just a little bit more responsive. So why does this matter? Why do we need to do our profile this way? Well, of course we don't need to do anything. But here's a couple things. When people Google your name, more often than not, your LinkedIn profile, your personal profile, not your business profile, your personal profile is going to be the first thing that comes up. It's gonna be the first thing that people see. So that's something you can check. But again, even if you have a website or something above it, when I Google you, a lot of people will just go straight to this because they know it's kind of a shorthand for what's going on. Sometimes it's faster than a, than a website. So that's why a lot of people like that. That's reason number one, but there's a more important reason. This is the more important reason. You ready for this reason? Because this, if you don't remember anything else, just, just remember this piece. 74% of folks are going to buy on LinkedIn from the first person who gives them a true insight or significant shift in perspective. That's bonkers. That's really crazy. So, I mean, and again, all other things being equal, let's say you hear this from me first and I'm the one who's making you think differently about this platform. You could hear 10 other people after me saying very similar things, but if we're in about the same price point um, aiming at similar target audiences 74% of the time, if I'm first to challenge your perspective, I'm going, to, I'm going to get that client or that audience. So that's pretty bonkers. And that's another reason to think about doing things this way on LinkedIn. So when I'm helping people write profiles and content and messaging for LinkedIn, one of the things I love to ask is what is the dominant myth 
the dominant narrative, if you prefer, in your industry right now. Winter 2022, coming into spring as we're recording this, February 2022. Find a way to poke some holes in that balloon with some evidence and you will be remembered. So many of you listening to this probably already know that, that often a challenge to the dominant way of doing something can become one of the most effective sales techniques. And in study after study, it, it has been shown uh, consistently to be a thing that works very, very well because people remember it. A challenge doesn't have to be aggressive. I am saying poke holes in the balloon, but it doesn't have to be mean. But basically, here's the thing. If we talk about marketing with a book right now, since that's the podcast I'm on, and we're like, okay, February 2022, there are many people on LinkedIn and elsewhere who are in some way or another speaking to experts about how to market their business with a book or to make that part of the sales process or the marketing process or public speaking process or getting guest appearances process. So if you think about your industry, when you're listening to this, in every moment that we're around, there's always a dominant myth. There's always a dominant narrative. So things come, go into, you know, come into style and they go out of style. Trends come and they go. And right now there are things, for instance, that are being said about LinkedIn that weren't being said about LinkedIn a year ago, 18 months ago, right? So I have to kind of keep on the edge of if this is what everybody else is talking about, it is easiest for me to come in from a somewhat maverick position and challenge. And the, the, you don't have to be saying, you know, everyone's talking about this and I think this is stupid. You don't have to be saying, oh, the most popular idea is this and, you know, that's just dumb. You're not doing that. It's more like everyone's talking about the great resignation, but I prefer to think of it as the blah, blah, blah. And here's why with some evidence. So, you're not saying that this thing doesn't exist. You're saying there's a different way to look at this. And that's really what a good challenge narrative can do. So, um, you know, we want to get into some examples of this because otherwise, it, you know, it's all theoretical. So just really quick, uh, the rest of, the rest of my, my, my little slideshow here is, is, is pretty much uh, about these other things. I'm going to go on to these other things, and then I'm going to come back to the profiles, because that'll put, it, put us in the perfect space, I think, to have the rest of this discussion. When we're doing all this stuff, like trying to figure out who is this target client, this even better target client, this is the image I always love in my mind. If you've seen Meerkats. I love, the, I love the way meerkats turn their heads and they all do it in unison. They all go, what? When I'm working on someone's brand or someone's LinkedIn or someone's business or someone's outreach on LinkedIn, this is what I want. This is biological. It's biology. It's not like, oh, that sounds interesting, right? There's an aspect to this that has, if something is compelling and it's targeted correctly, and it's niched enough, this is often the response you will get because the people haven't already heard it from you know, 10 other people who might be just excellent, but they're not you. So when we're trying to figure out the niching, we come back to this model again and again, I call it the super tight holy trinity, which is kind of silly because this isn't, this isn't my idea, but it's just the way I like to break this down. So, you know, Anytime you're trying to decide how to go a little tighter with what you're doing on these profiles and your activity, you could go tighter with the specific person, your avatar. For example, let's say you're a digital marketing company and you're working with women-owned uh, businesses and that's what you're doing in general. You could use LinkedIn and only target women-owned law firms and immediately by you know, creating that, you, you, you've just passed so many people. If you find out that, hey, lawyers are active on LinkedIn, women lawyers are active, I like being around lawyers, and you know, there's somebody who's really interested in this that I enjoy working with. So you could change the avatar. You can change the breakdown. 
if, for example, the thing that you're doing is the breakdown people are having is something to the effect of, I need more clients, I need better clients, I'm working too hard for all this. And the breakdown, you could go tighter in the problem that you're fixing. So you could say something like, well, instead of, you know, just to, just to keep up with this thing over here, going back to our digital marketing agency, you could say, we are a digital marketing agency that specializes in women-owned women businesses. And our, the problem we solve is you used to get all these clients through referral sources and in-person networking and you know, that kind of thing. We're going to specialize in working with women who had a great business, but now need to make all this digital. That's the problem. Like you're, you had the business, but we want to go a little tighter with the breakdown. You could also go tighter with remarkable solution. So the solution could be, hey, you're, you know, you're this type of person, you've got this type of breakdown, but what we would like to do is show you very specifically how to do it with a book. That's where we're gonna lead. So the way we're talking about this is a little bit different than somebody who's talking about doing it with a podcast or doing it with a newsletter or doing it with any of those things. So this is always a fun model to come back to. And the easiest way to do it is this one right here, the avatar. That's the easiest way to kind of button this down just a little bit more. So now we'll go look at a couple of examples and then we can sort of, when you see the real life thing, it makes it easier than a theoretical. So this young lady is a financial professional. She's worked with women all over the world. She's already got a fairly successful business. She could market this towards anyone, but instead she picked. And we decided to start with women in aerospace. So here in her, what, what's sometimes called the headline, the words underneath your name, it's women, you know, wealth advisor specialing in women leaders in male dominated industries like aerospace tech and manufacturing. So the other ones are mentioned, but this banner helps create the first audience. So I'll tell you what, we're working together. We've already got her so many people in aerospace. I honestly don't know if we're going to get to tech or manufacturing. Like, I don't know. This may, this may be too much. But what is the challenge she is going to offer to that space? And that's where we're going to start seeing this in the rest of this. So basically, pretend this thing here that says about, pretend it says TED Talk or Keynote, or if you prefer, pretend it says rant, whatever you like. Instead of talking about she, how she's going to help, Carol just starts helping. And the way she does it is by challenging the dominant narrative right now for women and wealth, or what she perceives to be a dominant narrative. And as far as Carol's concerned, she sees tons of advice about things women need to stop doing, but not very much information about how women in very, very you know, financially, uh, financially prosperous uh, areas like women in aerospace, what they should start doing. And is it okay? Is it okay for them to plan for retirement and also, you know, buy nice handbags? I don't know. Let's find out. So really, that's the challenge she's going to deliver. And it's going to be specifically towards women in these male-dominated fields. So that's what's happening. People always say, is this too long? This about section, is it too long? It, it, as long as it's not too long to your target client and your target client wants to read what's here, bingo, right? It's more about how interesting it is and how easy it is to read. So one more example, and then I'll, I'll turn, the, turn the field over to however you all want to approach this. This person sells processes. She's a fractional COO. She sells processes and systems. Now, processes and systems are not a fun thing to market. Uh, that's not something most people want. But if Daphne specializes in a very, we decided to have her concentrate on this more specific target audience. There is a difference between people who've gotten to a million dollars in their business, but their next goal is five. Well, here's the thing. The systems and processes that generally got them to one aren't going to get them to five. And what we're going to do with this profile is show them that. 
So again, we've got the, the banner. Um, it go, happens to go with the logo she already had. We've got a very specific headline that's letting people know what we're doing. And then again, when we come into this about section, Daphne's going to talk about the things people try to do. All the things people typically do when they're at one and they're trying to get up to that next magic number, whether it's two, three, four, five, whatever it is. These are things people typically do. They throw people, they hire more team members. They buy shiny new tools. If they're uh, Daphne's client, they typically shoulder more of the burden themselves. They take on more and more because it's all up in their head, right? They will try to fit it into all these different business models. Oh, well, this or this or this or this, whether or not it goes. Or they'll hire coaches and consultants to implement the stuff who don't necessarily have the ability to make this specific jump because, again, not as many people specialize in processes and ops. So now if Daphne later decides, when we wrote this profile, she was you know, again, she was starting to get more people right around that 750, 800 million mark and starting to take them on. Now, if over time, Daphne finds that, hey, an even sweeter spot for her is 2 million going to 10, we can change this. It's not hard, but it allows us to do something with what Daphne is doing that is going to instantly stand out for her people because nobody else has explained to them, not EOS, not anybody, no other system has said, here's what you need to think about before you decide how to do this. And again, the information isn't just promotional for Daphne. It's valuable because people are starting to learn from her. So that's, that's the song and dance. I took longer than I said, and I apologize, and I will hush, and we will talk about whatever questions y'all have. Yay. For starters, uh, Suzanne, let's pin um, Ellen and me side by side. Here we are. Here we are. Thanks. Great job. Um, I thought... I'll ask questions, but also we might do some hot seats with people um, here. I love doing that. So if, okay. if anyone's feeling brave, we can we can just start to dig in there a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll uh, demo and go first, and then we can uh, go from there. Does that sound agreeable? absolutely? Yeah. And whatever okay. questions you think, because you know your people, you and Mark know these people. So whatever questions that you have that you know your people would be worried about. I'd, oh, yeah, be interested in oh, that. We know these people. I bet you do. Oh, do we know them? <laughs> they I have agree. fears, uncertainties, and doubts. <gasps> um, let me tell you. Yeah, I've never had any of those myself, but yes. I, I've heard about other people who've had those. Well, yeah. it's nice to be a golden child. Um, right. Sarcasm. <laughs> okay, so um, let's uh, the maverick positioning. So uh, let's say. Um, marketing with a book, Indie Books International, we work with independent consultants who want to attract high paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So, but um, let's say we want to be mavericks in the field. Uh, what, what might we look at to be mavericks? I think the first place is to look is look at things that other experts say that annoy you. Um, if they're, when you are running around the world of your business, and you're looking at your competitors or looking at people who are in your field, or maybe you're just looking at trends. You know, everyone's talking about this buzzword or that buzzword. And again, it doesn't have to be something you're violently opposed to, but it's something that you hear a lot about. And more importantly, your target client would have heard a lot about this already, right? By the time they come to you, because I'm assuming, I know, that your target client is a very smart person. This is not somebody who wouldn't be likely to learn and do their research. So, and the reason I think it's interesting to think of it seasonally, it's a little bit like a state of a union. If you and Mark can think about, or anybody listening to this can think about, when you look at other people talking about similar things, what words do you see? What ideas do you see? And then usually there's some things that you flat out don't agree with. 
you don't think it's a good idea. You think there's a better idea. In my case, I see many things that are, I would say are old. Like there's things that did work really well on LinkedIn two or three years ago that do not work now. So that's another maverick position I could tell. And again, I'm not taking it to be a maverick or to be a challenger. I'm taking this position because I believe it. And this doesn't work well as a, as a fake it till you make it. But I think it's about thinking about what you see and hear and what your people talk about, thinking about your people's questions. When they come work with you these first few times, what are the subjects that come up that you know they've probably seen and heard about elsewhere? So if we were gonna talk about marketing with a book as it exists in spring of 2022, what are the things that people are talking about, other experts are speaking on or that are, and, and when I say myths, it could be a myth or not. Narrative might be a better word. What's, what are the things going on that you could say, you know, there's a better way to think about that. So we're just gonna role play. Yeah, um, just go for it, yeah. And um, uh, podcasting. There's okay. a lot of people selling that podcasting is the solution. You get your podcast going, you build up this audience and it's the better mousetrap that will lead the world beating a path to your door. Uh, podcasting, podcasting, podcasting. And oh, by the way, um, for only $7,500, we'll teach you how to do this. Yeah, exactly. Now that's a great example. So without um, necessarily having a headline that stabs podcasts in the eye with an ice pick, you could still set your profile up to educate people and especially the top half of this profile. You know, hey folks, there's lots going on about podcasts, about this is, about that's. But let's show you the stats. Let's show you the facts about here's what's happening in the world of podcasting. Here's what's happening in the world of books, right? So you, yeah. could, you could show, you know, some evidence that there are many more people that start podcasts that do not wind up being listened to or profiting them. And they don't really want to have a podcast. The only reason they're doing it is because they think this is what they have to do for marketing, right? Now there's right. people who love being doing podcasts. That's fine. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people like everyone was on me to do a podcast a couple of years ago. And I was like, I don't want to do a podcast. I don't want to waste more time. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't need any more podcasts. Like I, I love being a guest on other people's podcasts. You know why? Because I didn't do any of the work to get here. I just showed up and presented to an audience that you already went to the trouble, trouble to assemble. So that's something I talk about a lot. So it isn't, and I'm not saying podcasts are stupid or bad or you shouldn't do one, but I am pointing out that if you want to sell a high fee consultancy service, perhaps it would be better to do it this way first. And then if podcasting is part of the light and joy of your life, then maybe that's something you look into later. So that's an example of challenging a dominant narrative. It's a good example. So what I like so much about what you're saying is, and you and I both have a research background, mm -hmm. is you actually do some quantitative statistical research, mostly secondary research. Um, but you can find out, let's keep going with the podcast. Yeah, let's keep going. Because all of a sudden, Apple announced they had a million podcasts. And then Apple announced, I believe it was 2 million podcasts. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> the number of listeners to podcasts did not increase. No. The hours in the day did not increase. There you go. And so that, would, that would be great data. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you just did that off the top of your head. So obviously, you know, go back and check those numbers. But this isn't something you have to, that one thing, that one fact would be a beautiful hanger to sort of hang this dress on, right? Because mm -hmm. it, and you want to keep these really simple, but yeah, you want evidence like that. So you're not just being a maverick or a challenger just to be mavericky or challengey. That's not the point. It is, yeah. I think it comes, if it comes from a genuine conviction, like for Mary Schmid, for example, her target client is a financial professional Every single one of those financial professionals is being told constantly how to talk to get clients. Mary's going to teach them how to listen to get clients. 
that's a challenge position. Everybody else is saying, do it this way. She's going to say something different and she's going to back it up with evidence. Why? And I think if you're a more objective person, you can do more with that type of stuff. If you're a more subjective person, you can do it more as a story, but having that data point is really important. And yeah, that you're not just saying things to whatever, be mean or show everyone how different you are. It's not, it doesn't work well that way, I don't think. I liken it to being back in school and you had to do that term paper. Yes. I remember I was assigned Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So I had to read every book and every article, but the Warren Buffett book was very similar. I was uh, granted the privilege to co-write a book on Warren Buffett. Oh, and by the way, we need 50,000 words in 90 days. Yeah, no problem. That should yeah. Yeah, just pop that out. So mm -hmm. I consumed everything I could and every factoid and all that. I'm surprised at how many people are independent consultants who have an industry, who don't take time out every once in a while to do just massive homework to see what are the trends, what are the statistics, what are the, the numbers and data points out there about I, their I, own field. Agreed. And honestly, people cannot afford to do that, especially not if you want to get a little further with revenue, maybe do a little bit less running around. Um, I, I agree. I'm, I, I think that People often don't because they're a little bit scared to, they sort of feel like, well, I'm not, maybe I'm not as good as so-and-so or maybe, you know, whatever. But I think once you understand the reality of the marketplace, it, you can do many things with it. I think it's the difference between, so unfortunately there's a lot of B2B gurus, businesses, uh, business gurus, teachers who sort of talk about all this, like it's your local fun fun run, 5k fun run, you know, your seven figure business, no problem. Just use my patented nine point system and you're going to get there in six weeks. So, but it's not, if you think that's what's going on and then you get into all this, you're going to be upset and feel like you're doing it wrong and be let down very quickly. Whereas like we talked about, if you understand that 4.3 million additional people applied for small business licenses in service positions this last year, now you start to understand, okay, the importance of standing out, the importance of being very crisp with my target client, my message, all this stuff, like the advantage I wanna share. If you think about it, every great thought leader you know has a very simple challenge brand. Um, one of my, exam my favorite examples is Brene Brown. Brene Brown's challenge is powerful vulnerability two words. And she turned out to be the first social scientist who came out and said, hey, you know what makes people happy? Vulnerability. Here's some data about why. Everything she does is built around that precis. Everything. So each of us need to have sort of this kernel and the profile and then the way you use the profile, the way you reach out to people, the way you make connection requests, the way you um, navigate LinkedIn is the perfect place to test it if you're not sure. Because nobody, say, say somebody else hears about Carol, that woman I just showed you, and they're not a woman in aerospace, but they heard Carol's really great. So they go look at her LinkedIn profile and there's a picture of an airplane. And the woman who heard about Carol is a financial professional. It's not like she's not going to call Carol because there's a picture of an airplane. Like she's going to call her because she's already been told about her. But in the meantime, Carol can test this. And we tested it for two weeks. And the way we test, by the way, is new connection requests. We find out how many connection requests did I make and how many agreed. And more importantly, how many of those people not only agreed to connect with me, but then were trying to talk to me? How many of those people came on a Zoom? How many of those people that came on a Zoom wound up being a client or just a great referral source? And so we're measuring all that. And here we can find out in two weeks with existing clients or existing connections, we can do something like, hey, um, it's been a minute since we connected on LinkedIn. I don't know if y'all be interested, but we've got a great report for 2022 on all the things you need to know about marketing with a book for this year. Would you like to receive that report? And you just ask people, you don't send them things without asking. And if you have, couple thousand connections and you ask 
probably, you know, 100, 200 people feel like, yeah, I like that report. You send them a great report and then boom, like they're happy again. They're like, oh, wait, what's going on? Because for them, it occurs as, as different than, than just like a newsletter or whatever. So there's ways to find out fast if you're, if you're hitting this right. That's what I love about it. Ellen, two things. Um, one, I know you have a giveaway, so we wanted to cover that. And two, I wanted to see if Chris, Mary, or Scott would want to volunteer for a five-minute uh, hot seat with you. Um, Chris, we'll, we'll go with you. But first, uh, we'll let Ellen uh, explain what she wanted to offer. And then, Suzanne, if you could pin Chris and Ellen. And Chris, just start off with a brief one-sentence um, defining statement for her, and then, and then you can run. Okay, beautiful. So I've got a couple of different things. If you would like, and this is of serious interest to you, you can schedule a LinkedIn profile audit with me. We get on Zoom for 30 minutes and um, it's a way for me to get to know you and also show you some things you can do pretty quickly. So that's it. I um, also have a document called the, uh, the LinkedIn connection intervention. And I didn't bring it with me because last year when I was here, I know I had the same doc. So I didn't, I didn't want to be like bothering you with the same thing, but all you need to do is just message me on LinkedIn or whatever works. And I'm happy to send you that document. It is our lead magnet. So you are on our, on our uh, email after that, but the document is about, it's, it's about when someone's trying to connect with you and you want to flip that person like a house, i.e. you want to flip the interest of them going, oh, wait, what's happening here? Um, that's what a connection intervention is for um, without doing anything skanky or you know, anything, anything manipulative. Um, so that's what the connection intervention is about. So you can get that or you can sign up for the profile audit. And I believe I did include the link for the profile audit. Is that good? All right, me and Chris. All right, and Ellen, sorry, I'm sorry I missed the introduction. I would have said, my name's Chris Hodges, author of Noble Automation. Now I live in Denver, California. That would have been my, anyway, you missed that part. Right, one sentence defining my one sentence sentence. I work with business leaders who want to succeed with business automation and retain their top talent. Awesome, what kind of business leaders? Good question. What size of business leaders? What industry of business leaders? Who, which business leaders would be active on LinkedIn and would have the money and the eagerness to pay for this? CIOs, COOs, companies of 20,000 employees or bigger in high um, knowledge worker industries, financial okay. services, pharmaceuticals, telecoms, um, okay. insurance. Perfect. So, and one thing you can always do to test this is pick three of those, like maybe the first three you mentioned, or I know there was a fourth one, you know, and you could say, I help people in these companies do X for these types of businesses, right? So you could put that in your actual headline if you wanted to test it. So, okay, so your target client that you wanna find on LinkedIn is in one of those title positions that you mentioned and is part of a company that has 20,000 people or more. And I, I'm already hearing what you're saying. So let's just, let me just say, I'm gonna pick one, right? I'm gonna yeah. say, I'm looking for COOs in um, financial services businesses who are who need to automate their operations to save money and retain their top talent. Beautifully, look how fast you just went from sort of a big, huge thing that I couldn't get my hands on to like, bam, right? Good teacher. Thank you. And this is, I mean, this is part of it, right? We could test it, we're not sure, but it's just your LinkedIn profile. Why not find out, right? So then what we could do is use that as your model and Chris, what we could also do before we jump for that one, we could say, all right, uh, I, like, I like the target, but I'm not sure if I should be talking to COOs or CIOs or whatever. I'm not exactly sure which position would be the best. So keeping everything else the same, what you could do to test it is find 10 people, real people, you know, 10 COOs from that sort of company, 10 CIOs you know, from that sort of company, and you could look of those 10 in each of the categories of the different titles, where is the most activity? When you look at profiles of those 10 individuals, who is actually active on LinkedIn? Now, maybe it's the COOs, but maybe you find out 
oh, actually, you know, the COOs are there, but this other group is even busier. And so that might be part of how you're doing this. Now, you, or, or then Chris, you might find out, you know what, COOs are really the sweet spot, but they're not super active on LinkedIn. But you know who is super active LinkedIn, you know, might be some other team member. And then we would figure it like that. But bottom line, the profile is a conference that you're going to host for your most important people. And I love thinking of it as a conference. And so like people are going to come to your conference that you're hosting about automation and they're going to learn all kinds of cool things from you, right? Some of those things are about, you know, working with you, but, but even more than that, you're a thought leader. You're not just somebody, you know, saying, hey, buy my stuff. So you're going to educate them about a little bit about what, what's going on in the world of automation. So if we want to, um, Henry, do we have a second to go look at his profile? Is that okay or not? We don't really have a second. Chris, I'd be happy to do a LinkedIn profile audit. I'll sign up for your thing. That's a fantastic offer. Thank you very much. Okay. I'll do that. No problem. We'll get into it deeper. But again, just notice, folks, how fast he went to much tighter positioning. Which well, I, I listened to you and I, I'm, other people will say, let's go to another one. But you, you were very clear about that. And I already knew, I knew the gap. As soon as I started talking, I thought she's going to tell me to be more specific. And this is, you know, I just need to do it better. Yeah. And, and again, if we don't know, we can test so we don't have to go bet the whole farm on the wrong guess. I love that right. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what all of us are trying. You know, we, we want to say, well, I'll service anyone who will pay me. That's a stupid answer. Yeah. I mean, and it's emotional. It's it's not yeah. it has nothing to do with intellect. I'm the same. I, I feel just as emotionally challenged to pick somebody. But once I saw how different the money could be, then I got I got I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Uh, and again, thank you so much, Ellen, for being with us. Uh, wonderful as always. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening today. And we look forward to seeing you on another episode of the Marketing with a Book podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.